WNHH Radio's Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick. Martin Looney, Len Fasano make New Haven and Connecticut tick. Marty's the president of the state senate. Len is the minority leader. They just survived what may have been the most grueling legislative sessions in their lifetimes. We'll find out if that's <laughs> true. And they needed to cross party lines to get there together. And they were going to be talking today about a word that in some quarters is a dirty word <laughs> and others is a longed after, formerly popular word called bipartisanship. And we're going to see, explore that word together here. And Marty and Leonard in the WNHC studio to talk about it. Welcome to the studio, guys. So good to have you on the air. Oh, great to be with you, Paul. And uh, first, let me make one correction. Uh, uh, part of our bipartisan process is that Len is the Republican uh, president pro tem, uh, and I'm the president pro tem, and that was part of the, the negotiation we worked out uh, last year after the uh, elections resulted in an 1818 tie. So let's tell people what that means. What it means is that you guys, from the beginning of this year's legislative session, you had to enter territory that I'm not sure if there was ever precedent before, where no. Democrats and Republicans were tied, each had 18 members in the state Senate, although because the lieutenant governor is a Democrat, she could break ties, so you technically had control. It was officially a split Senate. Has that ever happened before? Not since 1893, I think they said was the last time. I think that's right. So you had to decide from the beginning of the session a very delicate process that in some other states would have led to complete gridlock. It could have taken months, if ever, and court cases to settle, mm -hmm. which is how you were going to run the session, who ran committees, how it was going to operate, a very difficult task. And then, as we'll get to later, separate from that, it turned out to be the toughest year to govern <laughs> because we just kept getting budget deficit revised into bigger budget deficit out of a $40 billion two-year budget. I believe the estimates went as high as millions of dollars of, of being out of whack, up $5 million. $5 billion, if I'm not mistaken. And you had to continually come back and change what was in the budget and try to get it passed with this deadlock. Am I setting the stage correctly, guys? Yeah, that's about right. Okay, Absolutely. so the session's starting, and you guys are both in charge of parties at a time of great partisanship in our country. Where across the country, Democrats are supposed to hate Republicans, Republicans are supposed to hate Democrats. You were going to have to decide how to run this legislature. How did you do it? Well, I think, uh, uh, first of all, we both agreed that we wanted to try to make it work, that we didn't want to... Uh, just uh, use the excuse of uh, possible gridlock to create actual gridlock and to uh, try to find a way to, to, uh, to work it out and make it, make it work in the committee process. So um, Len and I have known each other a long time as fellow lawyers in, uh, in New Haven, so we had a relationship outside of our, of our legislative role. So we, we started thinking pragmatically about how we we're going to make this work in terms of the committee process, in terms of, of, uh, of floor business. So uh, you know, as each issue came up, we tried to deal with it in a way that was... Uh, um, fair and even-handed, and uh, and I think re reflected uh, uh, trust and goodwill on both sides. Well, Len, what were you thinking when we were saying, holy cow, I'm going to become a legislature now? And in some cases, I mean, for years now, the, the Democrats used to have a supermajority. They used to say, we don't even need you. We don't even need one or two of you guys. we got enough people to be veto-proof. All of a sudden, you got them in this position. So did it feel like you had new power? Or did you think like, oh, no, 18 to 18, how am I going to how am I going to go back to my caucus and bring back anything here? Well, at first, uh, I think 1818 was a problem. Mm -hmm. But then reaching out and talking to uh, Marty, uh, I realized that, you know, we can work this out. Uh, first of all, the Senate has worked out, even when they had a majority, uh, we've always been cooperative where we can be on running the Senate in a timely and manner. Is it, like, is it like the old days of federal government, not as true anymore, where the Senate was sort of like the gentleman's, gentlewoman's club, where you had a little more chance to 
eat lunch together because they don't do that anymore in Washington and and strike deals to make the government work and compromise. Is it, yeah. is it a different feeling in a smaller legislature? I think there is a different feeling. We don't have lunch together, but I think it is a different feeling. You but I also think together. our relationship between Marty and I, but I, you know, the other part of the story is uh, Marty had the kidney transplant going I was on add at the that. same time. That was time. the last compl- complication and, at the end of December, Marty, right? right? You were going in to get a kidney transplant, and the session begins in January. Yeah, December 20th, I got the transplant from Judge Brian Fisher, and uh, we were in the process of still negotiating all these things with the session less than two weeks away. Exactly. And, you know, things were going smooth. We ran into a big bump in negotiations, and Marty was having his surgery, I think it was the day after. I think so, yeah. Uh, I talked, Marty accepted my phone call, uh, and I kind of took advantage of him because he was on heavy drugs at the time. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we, we worked out the little bit of a problem that we did have that could have blown up. You know, I can't even remember what the Marty, problem was. So as they sit Marty here remembers who was, who was in a town committee primary at a ward in 45 years ago. He really remembers. <laughs> yes, that. that's true. Marty, I'm counting on you. As well as, like, who was the fullback for the... The, the Yale football team, even though you were on the football team, I bet he remembers more who <laughs> played for the football team in the fifties and the sixties. So Marty, what was, what was the, well, the first Len, Len was on the last team, the last Yale team before this year that won the uh, Ivy league title outright yes, that's back, right. back in 1980. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think the issue had to do something with, um, um, it had to do something with, uh, uh with, uh, titles and how we were going to work that out in terms of not, not for the two of us, but in terms of, uh, uh, of others. And, and also part of the committee process, because, our structure is even more complex than most states because our we have a joint committee structure where every committee is chaired both by a uh, a Senate chair and a House chair of the majority party. But now we had equal numbers in the Senate, so uh, our process now meant there was going to be a Democratic and Republican co-chair of every committee along right. with a House so Democratic co-chair. Like we don't have, and I actually think this works much better than Congress. I could be wrong about this, but we have one Appropriations Committee, one Health Committee, one Labor Committee, right. and you have someone from the majority party in the House as a co-chair, some majority party in the Senate. So, so had you before you had had the operation, the transplant, had you not worked out that issue yet? We had we had worked out most of it, but there were yeah, there were a few outstanding uh, 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 wrinkles that had to be pinned down. And Marty, down I want to ask you to get close we had to, to the mic. Yeah, we had to work these out uh, in order because we were also working on how we were going to work this language into our rules that we were going to have to adopt on opening day. So, so in some of these areas, we had agreements in uh, in theory. But we wanted to make sure that the language reflected the actual agreement that we had. So on the day after transplant, what was left unresolved? I think it was a couple of these things about how we were going to word certain things in terms of the committee process and uh, an allocation of titles in the shared area. So what did you decide that day? Well, we, we decided to, to uh, do what, we, what actually uh, resulted in uh, uh, the language that we, that we pinned down and became part of our rules and enabled us to, to go forward. I think part of it had to do with the issue of... Um, uh, dividing the committee because obviously now we would have equal Republican and Democratic uh, uh, members on each committee, and of course, when if you divide a committee, you have a chance to uh, to kill a bill uh, by that division. So we we worked out a deal so that obviously either the Democrats or the Republican members of the committee could divide a committee on a Senate bill, uh, but not on a oh, House how bill. How interesting because so, because yeah. you because you had one Democratic co-chair from the House. And you had a Republican and Democratic co-chair from the Senate. So you had right. three co-chairs, and I believe that was worked out before your transplant. Yes. But now the issue was who would have the chance to kill a bill. So you'd have an equal number of members but not co-chairs on the committee. The fact that you had the extra co-chair from the Democrats, did that, did that change the balance of power? No. So you didn't have an extra <clears throat> Democrat because you had two out of three co-chairs be Democrats? Oh, you mean because of the House? Yeah. 
No, because if you split a bill, then the House goes with their votes and the Senate goes with their votes. So you could actually kill a Senate bill. And mutual destruction causes cooperation. Right. Because the Senate so bill... So what's the compromise you came up with about what would, how the vote would take place in committee or how the vote would take place on the floor of... The ability the, to split the committee at committee level, the ability to have Okay, the we're right. really getting in the weeds here, but like yeah. how many members are on a committee? <clears throat> it varies. It varies. For instance, the appropriations and finance committees are the largest. They have uh, more than 40 members each. Uh, some of the committees like banks and a few others are are much smaller. They have, they have what, under 15 probably, I know right? they evenly yeah. divided between Democrats and Republicans. On the Senate side they are, but they're supposed to reflect the partisan balance. So on the, the House membership of each committee is there's one more Democrat uh, than, than Republicans. Because again, in addition to the tie in the Senate, the margin in the House is the closest it's ever been, uh, 79, 72. Right. So did that mean that committees still had a majority of Democrats on them? Yes, overall, yes. So right. why was it still possible for Democrats or Republicans to kill a bill if there still was a Democratic majority on these committees? Because if it was a Senate bill, then the... Uh, when it went to the Senate, it would tie. Well, no, at the committee process, you would split the bill and it would not get a favorable report to the Senate and therefore could not Is be Is that because properly. only the senators on the committee take that vote? Well, if you split the committee, the right. House would take the vote and the Senate would take the vote. You need a majority to pass the bill it would be a tie. The bill would not. So what was get the solution you worked out the day after Marty's transplant? Well, well, we, well, well, we just did. I think the idea that we would have this, uh, the, the split on committee bills. Uh, and also we, we were also talking about in terms of, uh, uh, of agreeing how, how we would schedule sessions. And, uh, uh we worked out that uh, we would only come in since we would come into session only on days that, that both uh, sides um, had, uh, either all of our members there or the same number of members there to, to make sure that there was going to be no um, advantage in calling a session when and one boy, party was down that one. that proved crucial when yes. what you didn't know was going to happen <laughs> happened later in the year. Wow. But I, and I'm sorry I'm being so dense about the first yeah. part because I don't spend every day in Hartford. I think some of my listeners are the same. What does it mean that you split the committee, meaning that you'd have a separate vote among the senators in the committee and a separate vote among the representatives in the committee? Right. So, so let's suppose you had a committee that had uh, three Democratic senators, three Republican senators, and maybe... Uh, 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 say nine Democratic reps and uh, eight Republican reps. So if it were a Senate bill, uh, the uh, any one of the, uh, the Senate, uh, anyone of the, either of the Senate co-chairs would make a motion to split the committee. Um, and supposedly, in order to kill the bill, it could be killed on a three-to-three three vote if it, it fails on a tie. And what does it mean to split a committee? You're taking two separate votes? Right, two separate votes. Senate members would vote separately from the House members. And how did you come up with that, comrade? Did you look back at 1893 of how no. they made things went? <laughs> no, no. So how did you come up with that? Who well, came up with that? I don't remember the discussions were where Marty and I decided, look, we'll, we'll let them split because mutual destruction means they have to have cooperation. Cooperation means you get a bill that's fairly balanced coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, and we felt that the chairs, we re, we think our right. members are great on both sides of the aisle, that they would work out the differences. And surprisingly, there was split maybe a couple times all year. The committee was other than that. I think they worked together on most of their bills. So Marty, you had just had a kidney transplant. You could have died. Right, and then and well, I think people, that was more likely before the transplant, but uh, but but what I mean, you have that most people would not be working the day after a transplant like that. They would not be working on the most difficult, important public matter in the state of Connecticut the next day. What kept you going and made you decide to do that, and not delegate it to someone else? Well, uh, first of all, there was really no. Uh, um, n- no one else to there to really delegate it to. I mean, uh, Len and I were the principals and had to had to negotiate this. And uh, um, and actually, uh, you know, the day after surgery, I wasn't feeling all that bad, just a little bit weak. But uh, 
you know, I was able to uh, negotiate by phone because we had been talking up, uh, we'd had a meeting up uh, to a couple of days before I went into the hospital. And then, uh, you know, the next day I felt well enough to be on, uh, to be on the phone. So I was, uh, the nurse came into the room to do some tests or something. And uh, my wife said, can hang on a minute? He's working. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> now, Len, you made a joke before you took advantage of Marty, but what was really going through your mind? So you're friends with Marty. You guys have a history. You're also having these delicate negotiations. You have the responsibility of working this out so the state of Connecticut's legislation can function. What was going through your mind about when to, to call Marty and how tough you could negotiate with him when your friend had just gotten a kidney transplant? Well, as I said, you know, I trust Marty, and I think that that has a lot to do with the agreement. And I knew when we reached the impasse with the staff on the issue that the only person I could talk to was Marty about the issue. Because, you know, as lawyers say, when you do a contract with somebody, if you don't trust the person on the other side of the table, I don't care what contract you draw as a lawyer, you can't protect uh, your client if the person's going to do wrong acts. And so even though this agreement was codified, if you would, by Senate rules, there were certain understandings that Marty and I know how each other think and operate that we knew we could just trust based upon the word and the conversation. So uh, talking to his chief of staff, uh, uh, it became apparent that I could talk to Marty the day after. So first you check with Vin Moore and said, is he up to a phone call? Exactly. And right. Vin said, try later in the day and said, no, call him now. And I said, are you sure? And I did. And he really sounded very, very well on the phone. And we talked about his operation first. We talked about this matter that we spent almost two days on in less than four minutes. Mm-hmm. Solved it and moved on. Sounds and that like was, Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan in the White House. <laughs> almost. Yeah, and we just went on. And, you know, and the crunch time was that you had session beginning the first uh, Wednesday of that uh, and month. What, and when was this? How far in advance uh, was this? So we were talking, what, the 22nd? About the 22nd of, uh, of December, right. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And, and so you don't have many days left. No. Uh, so we got through that, and then the deal was done, and that was it. And I knew that our word was our word, and we, the staff would take care of writing it. We'd get into session and go, and we did. Right. And we, we're One here. other thing, Paul, just another uh, wrinkle that erupted on, uh, on opening day is that we, had, we each had a member uh, who was deciding not to take the oath and start the new term, and we had to work that out to make sure that they both— you know, filed their papers with the Secretary of State at the same time, so as not oh, to right. uh, not to come into office. And we didn't know for sure until that morning whether they were both going to do it. You had to trust each other that neither time. one was going to take advantage of the other for right. partisan right. advantage, Absolutely. and that is really right. unique yes. in America right now. Now, I understand the importance of what Marty said. If one, someone had resigned before, then the other group would have a have majority, majority. Right. walk in and change the rules, right. do all sorts of stuff. So you know, one was resigned, both were resigning, and we worked it out together with trust and. Did it the day of session was perfect. All right. And we're talking about that on Dateline New Haven and WNHH Radio, your home for community radio at 103.5 FM live, Steam New Haven Independent. We're talking to Mari Looney, the president pro tem of the state Senate. And I've learned the other title today, Len Fasano, the Republican president pro tem of the Senate, about how they work together across partisan divide to steer the most difficult session that anyone can remember at the Connecticut State Legislature. So how far do you guys know? Go back. How did you know each other? When did you meet each other? Uh, I think it's as, as practicing uh, lawyers. Once, uh, you know, uh, uh, Len uh, knew and was a friend of my law partner, Jack Keys. Um, and when I started practicing with Jack, Len and I got to know each other then back, in the, back in the 80s. Yeah. And were, you, were you guys legislators yet? No. Well, I was in the House at that time. 
And but not you, Len. No, I was just practicing law. So did you meet each other in court? Did you meet each other at dinners? Were you at like doing, I think uh, doing dinners? real estate closings? I think we had a couple yeah. of closings together. Were you just kind of happy? You know, yeah. you know somebody for a long time. You can't put the exact date that you met. But we're you just... were on the other side of real estate closings. Yeah, I think we. You know, one. You know, uh, one of us representing buyer, one representing a seller. I remember doing a couple of closings. And with did, Len. did either of yeah. you kind of like sneak past the other one and get a better term for your client? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you remember? And then we would see each other in the GA. Yeah, we see each other in the court in the GA court over on Elm Street yeah, on the, the criminal cases over there that we both do. And how many years have you been in the legislature, Marty? Uh, well, I was first elected to the House in 1980. So I came in in January of 81. And then the Senate, uh, I was elected in 92, started January 93. How about you, Len? I was elected in 2002 and sworn in 2003. In the Senate. In the Senate. And do you remember anything about <clears throat> your, your working together over the years before you had leadership? Was there? Did you work on any bipartisan efforts? Well, I think before we were uh, the uh, the president pro tem and the Republican president pro tem, we were both the floor leaders of our party for a number of years. I was majority leader, and uh, uh, Len was the deputy Republican uh, leader when John McKinney was the leader. And Len and I were the ones who worked out a lot of the practical details of the floor operation and the sequence of bills and so um, you marking up calendars. Trust that. Oh yeah, well, that was a long that was a long period of working together to try to manage the floor operations and you know coordinating the work of the Republican screening committee and our screening committee, marking which bills would be ready to go, which ones weren't. Uh, which ones would, you know, constant communication about what bills and would be. And why was Len uh, doing that instead of McKinney? Well, that was the, the traditional role of the majority leader or the deputy leader uh, in terms of, uh, you know, obviously the president can step in and, and make a change, but uh, but the uh, the nuts and bolts operations on the floor are usually left to the majority leader and the uh, and the minority party. So you uh, worked well together and you trusted oh, yeah. each other. So now we're in a period now where bipartisanship is not a respected word. Jim Hightower famously said, um, the only <laughs> thing left in the middle of the road is a dead armadillo. Do you, what do you think about that? Some people think bipartisanship is selling out. In your party, we hear about rhinos, Republicans in name only, people who don't stick to a kind of hardcore conservatism. And obviously now in the Democratic Party as well, um, people say you're selling out your values if you, you know, pass a compromise budget that cuts the earned income tax credit. What do you, what did you, how did well, you guys... on the, Let me just say on the earned income tax credit, I consider that to what we passed actually a victory because there were proposals out there that would have cut it far more than we finally oh, did. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's part of how do you, how do you, get a compromise of Reagan said, get 80 or 70% and call it a victory because that's what you can get, what's achievable. But how did you develop your ideas about how parties should work together or fight each other? When's the appropriate time? How do you maintain respect, stick up for your values and also govern? Well, I would say that uh, with the budget that we did, um, we had a, a executive order that the governor put in place that was sort of held over everyone's heads that I right. think would have destroyed the state. And what's that when he said, if you don't pass the budget, here's the cuts I'm going to make given the limited realm in which I can make cuts? Mm -hmm. right. Yes, and a lot of it was municipalities, social services. And he was doing that to get you guys to do it. Some of it, and some of it I think he would just do. I mean, that's just do this governor. Well, before we get to the budget part, now you guys worked in the last session, wasn't it, on bipartisan health care legislation. That was also difficult. That also seemed unusual to me. Tell me about that. You, you held hearings and did a very serious look at rules for hospitals that – and tell me how you did that. Oh, that's together. something that, again, that Len and I have had an interest in. It wasn't just the last session. We go, went back to uh, 2012, I think, working on uh, on healthcare bills that we had bipartisan uh, work on. Because I remember our conversation at the time, uh, we both became concerned at the time about hospitals acquiring physician practices in the community uh, and uh, and what had been freestanding community facilities and having them be absorbed into hospitals. And we were and your father's a concerned doctor, on right? Like, yes, he passed, so you, but he was mm -hmm. a doctor for like yeah. 50 years. 
So that was a, it began with that concern that we wanted to uh, we were concerned about sort of the, the consolidation of healthcare. I mean, Len can take it from there. So then we decided to, to start figuring out some ways to regulate that a little better so that independent practices uh, uh, wouldn't be at such a disadvantage. And also we were hearing reports that some uh, Len had heard this because I think he heard from more doctors since, uh, since he knew so many that his father was a such an eminent, well-known physician for many years about doctors uh, complaining that they were being denied hospital privileges under certain circumstances or yeah. access to operating rooms so now and things like that. how did you solve that? This, I guess this might be a little bit less of an ideological issue than others. It's more like which lobbyists paid off which lawmakers as opposed to like how do you see liberal versus conservative politics. How did you guys steer this and what did you pass? Well, we passed a lot of different pieces of legislation yeah. at various times, but what we were trying to do is make sure that uh, individual doctors could not be squeezed out of their practices by... Uh, Yale, and we want to make sure that patients had the rights to receive their medical records because right. with the way the electronic medical records were, uh, there seemed to be a monopoly being created by a computer called Epic, which was a computer that Yale uses. So we wanted to make sure that patients were protected, they had the rights to their records, that doctors would also, if they weren't part of the Yale system, have the same um, uh, ability to achieve uh, retrieve medical records as the ones who were associated with Yale. So we put a bunch of provisions. I think we're the only state in the country uh, that uh, now has a law that is uh, unfair trade practices by the AG if records are denied to patients. So I think that we've done some things when in this area. When year did you finally pass this? We passed a series of big moments. We did, we did some in 2013 and more in 15 and more in 17. But uh, I think that was among the early ones that, Len, uh, that we passed. We also um, became concerned about the issue of uh, the so-called facilities fees. When the hospitals bought up what had been freestanding uh, facilities, all of a sudden you would have the same service provided by the same provider at the same location using the same equipment, and all of a sudden it's subject to a facility fee now because it now comes under the hospital's uh, you know, pay scale and rubric. So what we, uh, we passed a bill that said that if it's a facility that could normally be provided in an outpatient basis, it could not be subject to a facility fee. Uh, so therefore the hospitals, even if they owned it, couldn't jack up the price to Were reflect the Were there times the when you guys worked on this healthcare bipartisan legislation where you heard from your own party or your own base saying, why are you working so much with the other party? You're giving up too much. You're not. Was there any of that that ever entered into it? Not on the hospital. No. What no. on? Budget. Okay, Budget. we'll get to that in a second. Uh, one thing on, on the hospitals, I think part of it, because Len and I were uh, co-sponsors in the Senate, uh, the, uh, the opponents tried to concentrate their efforts in lobbying the House because they, they knew that us, both of us working together uh. would be pretty much able to guarantee Senate passage. So we had to work then hard once we passed it in the Senate you know, to, to find champions in the House, and luckily we did, so uh, we were able to get it through there. But that was where the, the opponents were going to try to concentrate their efforts because they felt you know, they, they wouldn't be too successful opposing both of us working together in the Senate, but so they felt the House was another story. But So that was our challenge, to, to, to work together through the House, and we did. And uh, you know, I want to give credit to the, the House uh, chairs and, and ranking members of the Public Health Committee who, who worked hard on this, uh, uh, now Majority Leader, then um, health, Public Health Chair Matt Ritter was very good in the House on this issue, and uh, um, and uh, and his Republican counterparts uh, as well. What do you two disagree about? Probably some budget stuff. Budget stuff. I think I I, I you or know role obviously of uh, government. The role and... uh, to some extent. I mean, obviously uh, as a Democrat, I I generally believe that uh, I believe in more of an activist government uh, willing to accept uh, you know a higher level of uh, of government activity and government taxation in order to run programs and provide services. I think you know Len uh, is uh, probably. Uh, uh, you know, less willing to support that that level of uh, of government activism. What do you think, Lynn? 
Well, I would say, let me just say another thing. I think on this uh, legislation for medical services, I think Marty and I are going to have a discussion. Um, I haven't even approached him yet, so I'm approaching him now. On this whole CVS Aetna issue, gives me CD. CVS uh-huh. buying Aetna, it gives me a lot of concern. Um, prescription drug prices, um, how are they going to deal with, are their clinics going to become uh, doctor's offices? Is Aetna going to require you to go through the CVS system? Uh, so there's some concerns I have that I haven't got a chance to talk to Marty about. But that's going to be, Connecticut is going to be up front uh, and center because you're going to need approval from uh, the insurance commissioner, or at least a recommendation, if you would, from the insurance Another commissioner. issue that might not be so neatly a Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative issue, but a nuts and bolts issue. Exactly. Right. It's a health care issue. It's a health care issue. Lenny, that, you, that's you guys a, I agree with Len. I think that's this? something we need to work on. I mean, the consolidation that's represented by, by Aetna and CVS becoming one entity is certainly something that gives us concern. But also, and Len mentioned uh, prescription drugs. That's another uh, major bill that we dealt with last year because of the, the concern that we became aware with with the pharmacy benefit managers putting gag orders on pharmacists, not being able to tell them uh, that in some cases that uh, they could uh, buy a drug more cheaply by paying cash for it if the generic version of a drug was, was very cheap, rather than putting it through their insurance at all. And under their agreements with the farm pharma- or under the mandates of the pharmacy benefit managers, they couldn't even candidly tell their customers about that. So uh, we were one of the first states to take action on, uh, on that. Uh, so that's another strong consumer-related uh, bill on which we work together, and that Excellent. was just this and, year. And if, if I may, CVS has one of the biggest uh, management of uh, prescription drugs in the country. So that certainly raises a huge concern. I see opportunities in that merger too. What's that? For costs. I see opportunities in CVS replacing your doctor resources for certain things like flu shots. And I mean, we. Well, you could walk into a CVS right now and get yeah. a flu shot for That's five bucks or so something. That's what I'm saying. So if you see that on a bigger model, that might necessarily be all bad if it's right. regulated. And it, 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 that's the key. That's yeah. the key. But now you've got a healthcare insurance hooking up with a pharmacy that controls to a large extent prescription drug prices and so when they sell a significant amount of of uh, name brand drugs and they get a rebate that rebate doesn't go to the consumers that money rebate is held by cvs there's an argument that consumers should benefit from some of that rebate so there's a whole issue out there and i think we need to look at this and as i said marty and i seem to be on the same page and this is the first time i've brought it up to him because it just Mm -hmm. happened last week but we're going to have to have a conversation come January on this. And we're having a conversation with Len Fasano and Marty Looney, the top Republican and Democrat in the state Senate of Connecticut, who managed to work together in a very tough year to get the business done. Guys, where else in the country have you seen top Democrats and Republicans working together well at a state legislature? Well, there was another state we contacted, and I can't, it was a northern state, I don't know if it was Maine or New Hampshire, who did a power share and they it went very well my recollection was yeah i can't recall which state it was there was we were looking at how they you know how, how they organized themselves their structure was a little different because they they didn't have the the joint committee structure Correct. that we do they had the, something more like the congressional structure where you have separate house and senate committees but uh but in some ways they provided a, a model and then we looked at there was another state where where it, it did result in uh, just about absolute gridlock where nothing really happened um and uh, then there was another state we looked at i think where it was sort of a free-for-all that Every bill wound up coming out of committee and having to be considered on the floor that the, the agreement was just open the floodgates and neither side will um, take action to kill each other's bills and let, let everything get on the calendar and then sort it out there. 
All right, we heard from on Facebook, John Canine. Led Fasano has been a terrific senator here in Connecticut. I would love to see him as governor. Many years of solid leadership and a willingness to reach across the aisle. You are not running for governor. No, I'm not. And neither are you, Marty. No, I'm not. All right. Inner City, Connecticut, good morning. I am enjoying this conversation. Sane politics. All right. So let's get to the budget. So this year, we've talked about all these important issues, but everything got swallowed up by the budget. And the first narrative that was written about this session was that Connecticut failed. It took us, we were supposed to have a budget by July 1st. We didn't get it until November, right? Finally signed. So you guys had to work extra months. But the other narrative that could be written is Democrats and Republicans managed to compromise in a very difficult situation where they were gridlocked. They could have been gridlocked because it was such an even split in the Senate. And you had Democrats, conservative Democrats voting with Republicans, so the Democrat majority couldn't even pass their own budget in the House. You had a governor who was sort of on neither one side on any given day, whether Republicans or Democrats. And you had a compromise. You guys had to lead your own parties who had very strong ideas, like the Republicans don't tax anybody under any circumstances, you know, and Marty's base, which is saying, you know, let's preserve social services and, and aid to the poor. How did you do it? Was it a success story in bipartisanship? Like, how, did, how did it work? Well, I think it, it was in, in the end, but obviously it was a bumpy process to get there. Uh, and it happened in stages. The, the first challenge over the summer uh, in July was to consider the, the CBAC agreement that the governor had negotiated with the union. And that's the, the coalition, union. Of, coalition of state, of state, state uh, bargaining units. And uh, we finally passed that and ratified that in July by... Now, that was fundamental for the Republicans, right? Because the Republicans feel, if I have this right, and please correct me if I don't, that Connecticut should really have collective bargaining agreements come before the legislature for an up and down vote, which it doesn't right now. They felt that the way we should be dealing with endemic pension and health care costs that seem unsustainable in our contracts that both Republican and Democratic governors in the past and independents agreed to was to force bigger cutbacks, whereas Beloy felt like he had driven a pretty hard bargain twice when he first came in and now again to have close to a billion dollars of givebacks by the unions. Wasn't that a fundamental difference in the view there? Well, I think that the Democratic leaders, Senator Looney and Speaker of the House, Arasimowitz, had indicated they would vote on the union contracts. And we did vote on those mm -hmm. union contracts. Generally, what happens is the contract comes on the calendar, and if the leaders don't call the, the contract after 30 days, it becomes an approved contract. Uh, both leaders early yeah. on indicated that there would be a vote on the it. The change you want is that there has to be a vote, period. Yes, they, they said that they would definitely bring it up for a vote, and they did bring it up for a vote. And now we have a law that says you will definitely have a vote, but they said, uh, and they kept to their word, that there would be a vote. But the, but you didn't like this agreement. No, I voted against the agreement. And Marty, you liked the agreement. I thought it was a, a reasonable agreement that after long months of uh, bargaining between the governor and the uh, um, and the CBAC coalition, and it did uh, um, solve uh, 1.5. Six billion out of our five point one billion dollar deficit problem. Um, after its passage, it did leave us with uh, three and a half billion left to do. But it, I thought it had some significant uh, uh, structural reforms and systemic changes because it uh, uh, it did put some uh, uh, significant changes that will affect the out years. For instance, it creates a new pension tier for new employees who will be hired, uh, which means that they will have a pension plan more more akin to a four hundred one k than a traditional pension plan. That's for new uh, new hires. Which was a big lift for the unions. But right. for Len, in, in your view, if I'm not mistaken, you felt that there's still too many issues kicking the can down the road. Not only that didn't you wanted more savings up front, you wanted the long-term savings to be greater, correct? Correct. And I just felt that the 
pension days that we or the the pensions we have now are just not pensions that are affordable So how anymore. did you guys work this out? Marty identified this as the first big challenge in this budget uh this overtime budget process after July 1st. Well, that pa- ultimately had passed in the Senate uh, on a party line vote. We did uh, get 18 for that, and the lieutenant governor broke the, the tie. And how did you guys work together on this? Well, we sort of didn't on that one. On that one. The only thing we did was that, look, when we disagree, which is going to happen, is we just control the schedule and the time within the Senate. Okay, Marty and I will say, we're going to put this up. Let's do it on this day. We're going to have full compliment of senators what is the debate time give me some frame of reference you know and we want every member who wants to speak to speak but if you didn't have this relationship could you have for instance thrown more monkey wrenches in by trying not to allow it to be scheduled on a day when there'd be a majority a democratic majority or in return marty could you have tried to like isn't that part of what happens when the two sides don't work together oh clearly i mean there there are lots of there are lots of ways where one side can procedurally try to stymie the other side, but all that does is then provoke a counter move at some other point when, when the, uh, the party dis- that's disadvantaged on one occasion has an advantage on another occasion. So did you guys in this case decide not to do that? We just talked about when we're going to run the bill and made sure we had all our folks there on both sides um, and gave everyone the opportunity to speak, but not the filibuster. Now that became harder wasn't it not when you had to have votes on different versions of the budget because now you got into summer people wanted to take vacations mm-hmm. didn't you have a new challenge of when to schedule votes so that one side wasn't taking advantage of another side's absence we did we so did scheduling did but we had to you know carefully uh, uh monitor everyone's schedule and have staff collect uh, you know dates when people were going to be away and then try to uh, match up when we'd have critical mass and the Republicans would have critical mass. And sometimes we had to kind of thread the needle pretty narrowly at a time when we could get everybody there. Which brings a second level of cooperation and respect. And that's between Vinnie Morrow, Senator Looney's chief of staff and Rob Poudre, my chief of staff. How do you spell Rob's last name? Good question. P-U-D-R-I-E. So their chiefs of staff had to work with together well on this. Yes, absolutely, and, and there has to be trust because you got to be able to say, okay, uh, my guys aren't going to be here these days, knowing that if Senator Looney were to call us in on those days, we'd be down a person. Was there ever a time when one of you was tempted to say, this is going on long enough, our towns are telling us they can't even set their budgets for New Year? Marty, was there ever a time when you said... Look, we got the one extra vote in the Senate. Let's just get this. No, because that would blow up the process because, uh, you know, you've, uh, the next day you'd come back and trust would have been uh, eviscerated and it would uh, the problems that would exist from that point on wouldn't be worth it to get a short term advantage for a single day. I so think that, I think we were tougher on our members saying, look, you know, you got to not go away. Or you got to be around, right. not trying to figure out when I could get a day in that Marty would be short. Um, you know, even if we had a session. And a member had to leave for on one side of the aisle. Uh, we would sort of so tell me about the that. next key point, like with CBAC, when you guys had to work together and it could have gone off the rails if you guys were enemies. Well, after CBAC, uh, then then we went uh, went to work on the rest of the uh, uh, of the of the budget, and we had a process that then led us to uh, to September, and that was the the next uh, key point when there was when the Democrats uh, at that point. Uh, uh, working with the governor had a budget that uh, uh, that uh, we wanted to put on the floor for a for a vote, and that he agreed he would sign. Um, and that it was a, a Senate A, we call it, was a, was offered on September fifteenth. Republicans had a had a budget plan, Senate B, and that was then offered uh, came into session on September fifteenth, and uh, 
when uh, Senate A was put on the floor, Senate B was then offered as an amendment, um, and it passed. And that was when the three Democratic senators voted for the uh, the Republican budget. So um, at that point, then um, you know there was a there was a, a key moment deciding, okay, what to do what to do next now that uh, uh, that budget had uh, had passed, and uh, there was some issue as to whether I would try to. Uh, table the bill at that point, but I decided uh, no, because the bill had passed with a majority vote, um, and now it's up to the House to take it up or not, and they did the same thing we did, and that, uh, you know, there were several House Democrats who voted for that budget also, so it, so it passed. So were there Ultimately, I mean, we sort of knew that the governor was going to veto it anyway, oh, okay, but... so it, there was nothing at risk. So you yeah. knew that too, Len, right, that the process is going to play out. You showed that, Len, that the Republicans had more strength than people realized that they could get Democrats on their side to stop a pure Democratic budget from passing. Do you think under other circumstances... And if I can, you know, when, when the amendment went through and there was conversations on it, Marty and I had a conversation, and I said, look, if you want to postpone the bill, uh, I won't debate that motion. I won't ask for a vote either. Go ahead. Why? Well, there's mutual respect. Look, you know, it, it, we did show that we could get it through, uh, knowing the governor was probably going to veto it, knowing that we're probably going to get together. So you both realize that no matter what you did procedurally, in the end, it wasn't going to become law, but neither was the Democratic version. So you knew there was going to be another day. Now, given the new political climate we have in this country, in most cases, don't people in your positions need to make public stances that please your core supporters? So in other circumstances, do you think Marty would have tried to delay it or you would have like publicly attacked them saying, we got to get this vote right now because people don't follow the nuances so much? Well, I think that uh, the key that day was that it became clear at that moment uh, that the only path to a budget was going to be a bipartisan budget, uh, and I thought that was a useful lesson for you know for our members uh, to learn. Uh, uh, and uh, so from that point on, that's when we started the very the serious discussions of uh, Republican and Democratic leaders uh, together that led to the the final budget. And it wasn't that passed all the end of October. I mean, there was a lot of harsh language used, not not swearing, but you know about the governor from the Republican side, about the Republicans from some people on the Democratic side during this process. How did you keep it civil? How did you guys play? What did you see your role in that? That's a tense atmosphere. There's a lot at stake. Well, there's silence, huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, I think that, look, uh, we are in all our positions because we all have somewhat of an A-type personality. And you got to be able to let some of it roll off your back and uh, not take it personal and recognize that uh, the rhetoric's got to come out to, to say your points. Um, and you guys do seem better that like Dan Malloy and Themis Clarities do not have that talent. Fair to say? I mean, the kind of things they were saying at each other, you know, <laughs> that would get them so mad about something that wasn't going to determine whether or not the budget passed, right? They'd have issues. I, I would just crack up at the things that would be coming in the press releases by the hour. It didn't seem to have a lot to do with what the budget was Gov- going to be in the end. Governor Malloy once said, Len Fasano wants to have his cake and eat it too. So I brought him a cake. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of cake? Um, I got it at Big Y. So I went to go, I said, I want to put a budget message on it. She, the lady goes, let me put my own message. I said, no, 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 I'll put my message. On the <laughs> and I took out one piece and I wrote him a note saying that it, uh, you said, I want my cake and eat it too. I have a lot of cake. I'm giving you one, but I still have to steal a piece. And then when I signed my name, I took the blue frosting and I smudged it across my name. So, you know, you got to have a little bit of fun. Uh, he did serve it to his staff. I might add, he told me later and he did call me up and we joked about it. You know, what we do up there is very serious work, but like every workplace, you got to have a little humor. You got to bring it back down every now and then. 
Um, and you got to love what you do. And if you don't love what you do, you got to get out. I don't care if the work in the, in the Senate or wherever you work for your life. If you don't like what you do, then it is work. Uh, look, we have rhetoric. We go at each other. At the end of the day, uh, we could go have a slice of pizza and have a soda and talk and joke and laugh uh, because it is part of what you have to do is rhetoric, but it's not personal and you can't get personal. I think that's right. You have to have a sense of humanity about this and, and realize that uh, um, in the end, uh, uh, all of us who are, are elected, it's uh, uh, it really is a uh, a gift and a great responsibility that the people trusted you to uh, to hold that office. And also then that means you have the responsibility to try to be productive and, uh, you know, just uh, taking the, uh, the extreme partisan role um, is, is not productive in a way because that, that's in many ways self-indulgent. And of course, that's something that that rank-and-file members can sometimes do, but that, that leaders really can't do. In, when we're indulging in talks about bipartisanship and governance on WNHH's Dateline New Haven with Marty Looney and Lynn Fasano, just a few minutes left. I want to make sure we get to the other key moments. Marty and Lynn, you were talking about the key moments at which you had to step up and be responsible and work things out. How, what was the next key moment in the budget that made it happen that was difficult and relied on your relationship together? Well, we had that then the long period of negotiations from... Uh, that mid-September vote until till the end of October when we finally did vote the bipartisan budget that was, I think, impressively 33 to 3 in the Senate and 126 to 23 in the House. I think in some ways that's, that's an amazing result considering how how difficult and uh, fraught the whole process was to, in the end, have a result that was so overwhelmingly bipartisan. So I, the, I just have a question for Marty. Yeah. Do you, was that your toughest, because you've been there a long time, would you think that was the toughest budget process that you've been through? Oh, absolutely. It was even the only one that compares to it was 1991, the income tax year. But this was more difficult because in 91, the choice was clear. It was just that issue. Is there going to be income tax or not? But this year we had just so many issues, so many options, so many things, then the closeness of the majorities and everything else. In 91, um, as it turned out, you know, Governor Weicker uh, took the role that he was going to uh, veto any budget that was not, um, you know, an income tax budget. And there were uh, the, 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 the Democratic majorities in the House and Senate sort of twisted themselves into a pretzel to try to pass a non-income tax budget um, several times. And then uh, the governor vetoed those and kept forcing it to come back to the table for the end, end product that uh, that ultimately depended upon a Republican senator, uh, Bill Nickerson, uh, from Greenwich to uh, to be the key vote because there weren't enough Democratic votes to pass it in the Senate. Wow. So it tells you, Marty's memory is incredible. Yes, I know. He was remembering <laughs> September 15th. He, he was, he, he was uh, having drugs, and you remember what the discussion was. <laughs> so I was sober, and I couldn't so, remember. So what about the key moment uh, in the process that got you to that point where you could have that kind of ongoing? Anything you remember from an interaction you two had where you had to do something difficult, just like earlier with the procedural vote question and with the CBAC and make sure you weren't taking advantage on who was there on what day? Do you remember any key moments in the final stage budget negotiations where your relationship kicked in? You know, I, I can't, it's tough to parcel out yeah. a key moment. Because we were meeting day after day after day. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that, you know, I think the difficult part was both of us going back to our caucuses and right. try to tell them, look, this is the deal we cut. And I, and I think my, I, I don't want to speak for Marty, but my conversation with my caucus was, <clears throat> We need a bipartisan budget. We need it for the strength of the state of Connecticut. We need it for the constituents. We need it for the bonding market. We need it for the businesses. We need to show this state that even at 1818, uh, we can work together to move this state forward. That's a positive message. I think that people can go out there and talk well about the state of Connecticut. 
And I thought that was significantly important to do. And there were a lot of people who, uh, you know, the far right of our party, who of my party, who were very upset that I would think about cutting a deal. It was like, it's their budget. They got us in here. Let them figure it out. Let them deal with it. But I'm not elected to serve 50% of the state of Connecticut. I'm elected to serve 100%. How about you, Marty? I think it was much the same process. The one thing that helped us as time went along is that uh, I think people uh, realized that we had to get to a budget somehow. Uh, and some of the uh, some of the resistance and the people that wanted to hold out for a better product realized there wasn't going to be a better product uh, after time and uh, uh, and that it was necessary to have the bipartisan deal at, at the end. So I think the, the passage of time and the pressure from constituents uh, helped us in some way. But also I think it was, uh, as Len said, we had to present to our caucuses that this is uh, the best realistic outcome, that you can't talk about uh, theoretical budgets that might be better than this one because those theoretical budgets are not going to pass. Mm-hmm. So what was the, for each of you, just very quickly, what was the hardest part for you and your caucus to accept? In the budget? Yeah. I would say the amount of uh, tax increases, arguably, that were in the budget, um, when you look at them in totality. Like which ones? Um. I just think raising the cost of living on people in general is just not good for the state of Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the big the big swallow was not doing anything post-2027 for union issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I think post-2027 we could have put in changes which would have had positive results in terms of budget savings in 18 and 19, not getting those was a big problem. What was the big swallow for the Democrats? On our side, it was uh, almost the uh, mirror image of that. Uh, many of our people felt that we should have had more revenues uh, in the budget and uh, fewer cuts. Okay. So how was this going to meet for 2018? Marty Looney, Len Fasano. I'm guessing that the budget is again going to suck a lot of the oxygen out of the room. Although you did mention, which I'm really going to be interested in following the CVS Aetna question, how does your relationship and how's the past this bipartisan budget going to affect next year? Are we still going to have to go into extra innings and wait an extra four months after the session to do adjustments to this two-year budget? I mean, it's a two-year budget, so you don't have to pass it from scratch, but mm-hmm. as we know, are people still going to take it to the last second and make it go into extra innings to, uh, or is it because it's um, election year, people are going to want to get home? Uh, I don't think being election year is going to matter much. Um, I think the numbers will tell us what our course of conduct is going to be. And why is it now you I think that's right. Pro- One of the problems, uh, of course, the last few years is that our, even uh, trying to be conservative, our revenue uh, uh, estimates have not, we haven't hit the targeted levels, especially on our major, uh, major tax, the income tax, which accounts now for almost half of our, uh, of our revenue. But I think, you know, since this is a three month session, but we will obviously be dealing with both current year adjustments uh, and then also adjustments to, to fiscal year 19. So now you already have to go back any day now, right? Because you have a more than $200 million deficit already in the new budget you passed. How does that make you feel about the budget you passed and how are you going to solve that? Well, you could only put a budget based upon consensus revenue. So even if the governor were to do his own budget, it would have been out of balance by virtue of being restricted of what you can use when yeah. you do a budget. Uh, but Senator Looney and I and the House and uh, Representative Clarence are trying to get back in to fix some things that we have to fix for the elderly. I think that's right. And we do have, obviously, in the House, uh, the same dynamic applies. But uh, but I think we need to recognize that we've got to deal with this by May. I think we have the three-month regular session, and we'll be operating on both tracks and dealing with the current year and adjustments for fiscal 19 at the same time. And I think uh, no one wants to have an elongated process uh, because there's a level of exhaustion, I think, after what happened in 17. 
Well, I want to thank you for joining us today in Dateline New Haven. Thanks to Marty Looney and Len Fasano. I think you guys are an inspiration. Oh, thank and you. And I hope that you thank can you, continue Paul. to see yourselves as human, to see people you don't agree with as humans. You, you know, you respect them, and you're going to get work done together while trying not to compromise on your core beliefs. I think that's a message for our time. I think it's a great holiday season message, and it's a story that needs to be heard beyond Connecticut. Thank you. So thank, thank you, you for coming here. And I respect very much what you guys do and hope that you're able to govern well in 2018. Happy holidays to you and all your listeners. All right. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing <laughs> I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free, a song that you must have been singing very often in this last legislative session. <laughs> now, we, it's from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. Now, we know what it's like to be free. We just got to remember to book our flight. Book your flight with us all day and all night long here at WNHH. New Haven's home for community radio.